got some verses to cover tonight. Let's turn there together. How's this mic? Is that a little low? No? I want to see if you're paying attention. Matthew 24. Starting in verse 10 here. See how far we're going to make it tonight. Verse 10. So we're looking at some end time things here. We're looking at the signs of Jesus' coming. And he lists a bunch. We're making a little shift here in the nature of the signs. And uh, let me read verses. Let's see. I'm going to start in verse 5. And I'm going to read through verse 10. But uh, see if you can pick up the little shift here, and then we're going to point it out. Father, we thank you tonight for the word. We thank you uh, for the words of Jesus that ring true in our hearts today. We thank you, Jesus, that you're coming back. And, Father, the signs of your coming are evident all around us in the world as they ramp up and increase. Father, I pray that they would not only catch the attention of your people who are looking for your coming, but I pray they would catch the attention of a world that's not ready for you. Father, we ask that we would be the light in the darkness to lead many to faith in Jesus Christ so that no one would miss your coming. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Matthew 24, starting in verse 5. Or many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and I will, and will mislead many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places there will be famines, pestilence, earthquakes. But in all these things, they are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Listen to verse 9. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. And you will be hated by all nations because of my name. Our new verse for the week At that time, many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Let's just stop right there. Let's close our eyes for just a second. I just want to read you this verse here. And it says here that many will be offended or many will fall away and will betray one another and will hate one another. A powerful verse of Scripture here as Jesus is teaching his disciples, especially when you realize He's talking about those who claim to be believers betraying one another and being offended and, and, and hating one another. And we're going to take a look at that tonight. The New American Standard Version says it like this. At this time, many will fall away. Say fall. Many will fall away, and that's implicit that they will fall away from their faith. They'll stop believing, and they'll stop following Jesus, and they'll go back into the world. At that time, many will fall away and they will betray or hand one another over. I want you to understand the implications of these words. We're going to talk about betrayal tonight, but realize the Greek is giving a sense that they will hand one another over. To who? To the world system. Remember, we talked about the power structure of this world system and that it's diametrically opposed to the church. Well, there will be those within the church that will betray and hand over other believers to the power structure of the world system that is controlled by Satan. The implications here are pretty staggering, and they will betray, hand over one another, and they will hate one another. 
The King James and the New King James Version says many will be offended. Say offended. How many people run into people all the time that are perpetually offended? We live in a world that's offended about everything. You wake up and say, good morning, America. What are you offended at today? And so this is so relevant to us because we see this idea of offense ramping up in our culture, and the Bible says that it'll be a sign of his coming. Look, and many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. So let's jump in. Now, the first uh, attacks that we're seeing here uh, are, are kind of a shift from what we looked at. This is the seventh sign of his coming by uh, most people's count, um, and it's not manifested in creation. Remember, the earth is going to testify of his coming. There'll be earthquakes. There'll be famines. There'll be pestilences. You know, these are things in the earth. Uh, it's, you know, you're going to see conflicts and wars and the, the system of this world attacking the, the, the church of Jesus Christ. But now the seventh sign makes a little shift here where it's not nature. It's not the world system, but it's within the body of Christ itself. Catch this, that these signs will manifest. We're not talking about the world persecuting the church. We're talking about the church against the church, the wheat against the tares, those who hold on to biblical authenticity and, and biblical morality against the church that is caved into the world. So you're seeing a little shift here in the signs, and I want you to notice that. Now, these signs are going to play out within the religious community itself, and true believers will clash with those who are apostate. Those who believe in the authenticity of Scripture will, will clash with those who have given over to the world's system. And I hope it's real easy for you to see how this could come into play, and it's already falling into place all around us. So the first attack that's going to come against Christians when it's Christian on Christian, you know, attack here is the first attack is going to come in the form of offense. And I pointed it out, but we got to look at it again. And they will be offended. And then what? The offended will betray one another and they will hate one another. So it stems from offense and offense is where the first attack within the religious community, within the body itself will take place. We notice that the King James said offended and the New American Standard said fall away. And actually, when you take both of those uh, translations from the Greek and you compound them together, you get a real good picture of what the word is trying to say here. Uh, exactly what's going to happen is that people are going to be offended and fall away, and then they're going to attack those that remain faithful to Jesus Christ. So it's a real good picture, and I hope it's clear tonight that you're getting this. But understand, there's going to be trouble in the religious community. Now, you know, you and I don't like that term religious. Does anybody like to describe themselves as religious? Okay, good. So I've been teaching you well. Remember, you're supposed to clap when I drink. Some people were waiting for that, so it's not so awkward. But uh, there's going to be this you know, offense, there's going to be this falling away. And first, let's understand what the word offend means, because it's the very mechanism that will cause people to walk away and stop pursuing Jesus. So that word offended or offense uh, happens 16 times in the New Testament, seven times in Matthew alone. So 
the majority of time where this idea of offended comes into play, uh, it, it happens in Matthew, and that's what we're looking at here, Matthew 24. Each time it appears, it comes in the same Greek word. There's only one Greek word for offended in the New Testament, and it's skandalizo. Skandalizo, where we get our word scandalize. Yeah, it's almost Italian, right? Yeah, scandalizo. But Greek and Italian are close, but you got to take it easy there because we're, we're butchering the Greek. So um, scandalizo, you know, is where we get our word scandalized. Now, the English translation of that where we see offense means this to entrap or to trip up. Let's dig into scandalizo to entrap or trip up to stumble someone to entice and to stir away to apostasy. So that word is just is a powerfully descriptive word. It's talking literally about, you know, an offense. And what an offense does is what? It, it takes someone and it entraps them. There's a sense of deception. It trips them up. It stumbles them. It makes them fall away. And then it entices them to apostasy. So offended, offense is scandalizo. It's to entrap to trip up, to stumble, entice, to apostasy. So now we got a really good picture of what Jesus is saying here as far as what the attack is going to be on the church. People are going to be enticed to fall away, to go back into the world. They're going to get tripped up by false doctrines or false teachings or false teachers. Uh, they're going to stumble, and they're going to get trapped by their own lust that want you know, these muddy doctrines or these flaky doctrines or these unbiblical things that the world says now we have to incorporate into the church. Come on, this is what Jesus is warning us about here as we dig in to the implications of what he's saying. Now, most of us think of being offended in the sense of, you know, when, you, when we're offended as believers, we, all of us think it's righteous indignation, right? Whenever we offend it, it's got to be, it can't be us, it's got to be them. And you know, you're looking at me like you don't want to say anything because you know it's a trap, and it is. But the thing is, you know, we, when we get offended, especially as believers, especially as those who, who know truth and, you know, who have experienced grace and understand salvation, when we get offended, there's a sense of, you know, it, it's indignation about something that someone did that was, you know, unfounded or unjust, something prejudiced, something unnecessarily mean-spirited. You know, our world is very mean-spirited these days. I mean, you see it online because of the anonymity and all the vitriol and people just go back and forth at each other and the gloves are off and there's no accountability. You know, you don't talk to people that way in person, but, you know, in cyberspace, there are no rules. And so there's, you know, there's this level of uh, angst and there's this level of mean-spiritedness that just kind of leads to, you know, all of these things that make us stumble and, and, and get us tripped up. So when we think of offense, it's like, oh, we're offended because, you know, it's something ungodly, it's something unjust, it's something unbiblical. Now, that's a good place to get offended. How many know being offended is not entirely wrong? That was kind of weak. There are certain things we should be offended about. Let's see if I can whip you up and lather you up a little bit tonight. We should be offended about the immorality of our generation. We should be offended about what the world says about marriage and how anything goes. We should be offended about all, all the sexual immorality. We should be offended about what they're doing to our children in school and the things they're jamming down their throats. 
it seems like the offended don't go past the first three rows. So what are the rest of you offended out there? All right, I know it's Wednesday night, but let's, you know, let's feel this a little bit. So there are certain things as believers we should be offended about. In fact, when I see believers that partner with sin, that partner with injustice, that partner with, you know, abortion and immorality and all these things, and they're, they're unbothered by it, I'm offended at that. Because we should care about these things. Let me tell you something. God's not indifferent about these things, and neither should God's people. So being offended is not necessarily wrong. Yet the offense that's being described here has nothing to do with righteous indignation. In our text, it's different. The people who are being offended here and being led away from the faith are not offended by injustice or uh, immorality or about these things in the world that we should get upset about. But they are offended by the truth of the word of God and they are offended at the cost of serving Jesus. Get that. What are they offended about? Not about injustice, not about immorality, about what the Bible says, about the moral demands it puts on us. What are they offended at? At the cost of following Jesus. Oh, I can't, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't get saved for this. I didn't know I was going to lose this and lose that and be persecuted and be hated and be ridiculed and and nobody was going to like my posts on Facebook. I didn't sign up for that. Come on, Wednesday night. And so the fence here is not about injustice. It's not about mean-spirited. It's about serving Jesus and the cost. It's about the truth of God's word and the conflict that that brings with the world. There's also a sense of deception mixed in with scandalizo. And understand that people who are offended by the truth and are offended by the cost of following Jesus, they are deceived that somehow they'll be sitting in places of worship, hearing the truth of God's word, hearing the gospel and saying, you know, and, and, and something inside them is saying, no, I don't, I don't want to suffer that. I don't want to endure that. I don't want to believe that. I want to mix the world in with the church so I fit in and that there's no conflict there. So to get to that state, there has to be a level of deception. When we looked at the definition of the word, there was implications of there, you know, about being tripped up uh, and, 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 and being kind of deceived. And so understand that, that this falling away that comes through offense is going to be fueled by deception. That's why we have to be so careful about who we receive ministry from, who we, who we, you know, what books we read. I mean, it's amazing what pastor for Christian books these days, which, you know, I mean, there should be some kind of, there should be some kind of theological standards or some group of people who, you know, kind of read through them. I mean, because you can print anything and put it in the Christian bookstore and Christians read it and they think it's biblical and a lot of times it's not. I've had people argue with me as a pastor about things, about the Trinity, about doctrine, about all kinds of things. Well, I read it in this book. Yeah, well, I've been studying it in this book since I'm 14 years old, and this is the book we're going with. Well, well, so-and-so said this, or this pastor said, I heard it on the radio. Yeah, that and 85 cents will get you a cup of coffee in my house. But we're going to go with the Word of God. And... We've got to be careful, you know, what we sit under. There are some big names in Christianity right now that were mainstays 20 years ago that have become apostate now. 
and the things that they teach are thoroughly ungodly about homosexuality, about, you know, all of these things where they've just lowered the standard. And these, if I mentioned the names, you'd be like, what? And some of you would argue with me. You'll lose, but you'll argue. <laughs> because it's so obvious now that now those ones that were the, you know, they were the household names, now they're being listed among the false teachers. Wow. So be careful. Thank you. Thank you. I, for a second, I wondered, why are they clapping? That wasn't that. But you're obedient. This is good. You guys are fun tonight. So we've got this sense of deception, and we've got to be careful uh, not to be deceived, not to be infiltrated with twisted ideas, with false ideas, so that we get deceived and that we become offended. Uh, we've got to guard our hearts. So it's an offense not against, you know, things that are ungodly, but against the truth and the cost. So this exact same thing happened in Jesus' ministry. You say, well, this is, this is crazy. When's this going to happen? It's happened before. It's happening now. But in the last days, it's going to happen at an exponential level so that there will be a great falling away, as the Bible predicts. Now, let's look. In Jesus' ministry, he laid down the principle of why this happens, and I'm going to give you two examples of when it happened. Here, first, we're going to look at Matthew 13, 20 through 21, and I'm going to read it to you. I got some lengthy scriptures here. We're going to have, you know, maybe we'll serve milk and cookies and we'll, we'll have story time, but I'm going to read some expanses here so we get this. But listen to Matthew 13, 20 through 21. Here's the principle of why people get offended and fall away. But he that received the seed in stony places, here's the parable of the seed, the same is he that hears the word and receives it with joy Yet he does not have a root in himself, but endures for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, by and by he is offended. Say offended. There it is in the parable of the seed and the sower there, that, that there's a type of soil, the stony places where the seed goes in, it doesn't have a root. And what happens when tribulation or persecution comes, there it is, or deception comes, or a different doctrine comes, or the church drifts away from biblical authenticity, then the person is offended and they quit growing in the Lord. Now, the seed in the stony places speaks of the one who is in, offended by tribulation or persecution. And that comes to their lives via the enemy who controls the world system. How many understand if all it takes is tribulation or persecution to get you to fall away, you're done, as Tony said. You're, you're not going to make it. Why? Because the enemy's got no shortage of any of that with our name on it. The only thing that's going to save us is the root system that we drive down into Jesus Christ, who's the rock of our salvation. Come on tonight. That's why we've got to have roots that go deep. Man, when you, when you have roots of a tree that go deep, it when, doesn't matter how much the wind blows, it'll stay. I've seen oak trees with tap roots that go down 20, 30 feet. I've seen them in, in gale force winds. I've seen them get snapped off at the top and the, and the root and everything still stays. That's how we should be. No matter what the enemy throws at, he blew off all my branches, all my leaves. I'm just a stump. But I'm a stump for Jesus because my root system goes down into the rock. Come on. I don't know if you've seen stumps before, but they actually start to sprout up again. Oh, man. Say, I'm a stump for Jesus. 
Amen. So we got some roots here to deal with, but there's the principle. If you don't have the roots, if we're not grounded, you know, there's going to be a fence, and, th- and it's going to come, and it's going to come through tribulation and persecution, and it'll cause those who don't have their roots deep in Jesus to fall away. Now, please understand, in the last days, it may cost us everything to stay faithful to Christ. That was really weak. We don't like to think about this. In fact, nobody in the front couple rows say anything. I want to hear the back. It's going to cost us maybe everything to serve Christ in the last days. All right, there you are. Just want to make sure we're all in the same boat. So, you know, in our Western little bubble of liberty and freedoms here, we don't feel this that much, although persecution is on the rise. There, people talk about the fact that we live in a, a post-Christian America. I don't buy all that. I don't believe all that. I think we're one revival away from seeing God do amazing things in our midst. Amen. The world says the church is dead. Jesus is finished. It's over. We're post-Christian. We're post-modern on all of that. We're one revival away from America being where it needs to be, man. And we need to pray that for our nation and the nations of this world. So many times the enemy does a little something. Oh, it's over. Oh, it's done. Oh, we're never going to come back. But God. So here's, you know, that principle there where, you know, it's going to cost us something not to be offended in these last days. And You know, it it might cost us a lot more to serve Jesus. It might cost us everything. You know, in some parts of the world, it already does. In most places, it costs people an incredible sacrifice just to be converted. If you're in uh, Muslim-majority nations, if you're in countries like China or Korea or even India, you convert to Jesus Christ and you have just entered into fierce persecution. You will lose your family in some of those systems. You'll be cut off from your family, cut off from your inheritance. There's cultural systems that when people convert to Christianity, the mothers and fathers will say, my son is dead to me. My daughter is dead to me. You lose your property. You lose your social status. You lose your business, your freedom, and maybe even your life. Think about that. What does it cost us to convert to Christianity in America? Nothing. It's just a choice. Yet the apathy of our nation, people are like, I don't want anything to do with that. When people in India and China and Korea and all these places, they're willing to die for their faith. So the offense will come and some will walk away, but it's because of a shallow root system. So let's look at some. There's the principle there that makes this tick, but let's look at two examples of why people get offended and walk away from Jesus. It happened several times in Jesus's ministry recorded in the Gospels, but let's look at the first example uh, of offense that leads to apostasy, and it's in Matthew 19, 16 through 22. If you're taking notes, Matthew 19, 16 through 22, it's a a familiar passage of Scripture. Uh, Listen to it. It says this, and someone came to him and said, teacher, What good thing shall I do that I might obtain eternal life? And he said to him, why are you asking of me about what is good? There is only one who is good, but if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Then he said to him, which ones? 
And Jesus said, you shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and, you, and love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, listen to this. All these I have kept. Pretty impressive, isn't it? Jesus doesn't argue with him, so he really did. He wasn't full of it like some of us are. Jesus said, well, you know, all these I have kept. Why am, what am I still lacking? Did you hear that? He did the law as best he could in his own estimation, yet he still knew he was empty. There's a God-shaped hole in all of our hearts. This guy had a lot of stuff, did a lot of religious things, but he was still lacking. What am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, if you want to be complete, or some translations say perfect, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving. What happened? He was offended. He went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. Wow. So understand, here's a literal example here. Someone comes to Jesus, asks what he has to do to inherit eternal life. He's called the rich young ruler in Scripture. And when he hears Jesus' answer of what the cost will be, he gets offended. He walks away because he's unwilling to part with all his stuff. When the gospel costs us something, when our faith in Jesus cost us something, when the world and the apostate church is, you know, diametrically opposed to those who follow the Lord in spirit and truth, when it really costs something to follow Jesus, how many don't have enough root to stay but will pack up and quit? And this is what happens. They get offended. Here's a second example. Uh, it's seen in Jesus' followers. Now, he had his 12 disciples, but realize he had multitudes of people following him who also probably called themselves disciples. And he says something in John 6, 53 through 66 that freaks everybody out. Have you ever heard something in church that freaked you out? Maybe when you first came, maybe on the first day. Listen to what Jesus says here in John 6, 53. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourself. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Anyone freaked out yet? Not as much because we get it by now. We understand the Lord's table and communion. But they didn't. They didn't have that context. And they all freaked out. And, you know, it says in verse 59 here of John 6, these things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum, so that many, listen, many will fall away. Many of his disciples, when they heard this statement, said, it is very unpleasant to listen to. Then Jesus, aware of his disciples, was complaining about this, said to them, is this offensive to you? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life, and the flesh provides no benefit. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit, and they are life. And he kind of keeps going on at them a little bit. And the result here is in John 6, 6, 6. 
it says this, and as a result, many of his disciples left and would no longer follow him. John 666 is as real as it gets. They fell away because what? They were offended because Jesus said something that freaked them out and they were unwilling to mix their faith with it and just trust him. And they said, it's too hard. It's too offensive. And they walked away and they followed him no longer. There is the exact pattern that we're looking at here as a sign of his coming. People would balk at the word. They would balk at what it it costs to follow Jesus. They would become offended and then they would walk away from him. So the principle and two examples show us that this sign is not an anomaly. It's not something that's never happened before. It's been a part of what draws people back into the world and away from the kingdom since the beginning when Jesus established the church. So understand, offense is the weapon. Get your roots deep in the Lord. Get yourself full of the word. Watch what you... Watch whose teaching you sit under. Watch what books you read. Watch that you don't get deceived. Do a, read this more than you read anything else. Because there's a deceptive spirit that wants to offend so that people will not be willing to, to accept the truth or to, or to pay the price for what it costs to serve Jesus, and they will be offended and walk away. And the Bible says that there will be a great falling away. My prayer is that none of us here, none of us within the sound of my voice would be part of that group. So let's move on to the second half of the verse and we'll bring this in for landing. It says here, and they will what? They're offended, so now they will betray one another. Say betray. And will hate one another. Say hate. So betrayal and hate are the fruit of the offended. So we're going to look at that a little bit here tonight. This part of verse 10 clues us in to how the offended will behave once their allegiance to Christ is compromised. Understand something, the only thing that holds us together as believers in a body, in the body of Christ that allows us to love one another is our commitment to Jesus Christ. You remove that commitment to Jesus Christ, that deep root of Jesus Christ, and we'll fight about everything and anything. You look in the world, they will divide over anything. Unfortunately, there's a lot of division in the church because it is the main effort of the enemy. But understand something, without our commitment to Jesus Christ, things devolve rapidly. And this is what those who are offended, maybe they don't leave right away. Maybe they don't, you know, quit on church attendance. Maybe they find a church that preaches a gospel that they enjoy that, you know, is compromised. And you know, they will then stay in those places, but they're going to betray one another. They're going to hate one another. The tares are going to turn on the, the tares are going to turn on the wheat. Now, I know that Jesus uh, is going to deal with the tares at the end of the age, but understand, uh, in the last days, the tares and those in churches that have, you know, accepted ungodly doctrines will turn on the churches that stay true to the biblical doctrine. You're like, Pastor, I came all the way out in the cold on Wednesday night, and you're telling me there's going to be division and fighting and, you know, falling away and uh, offense. And I'm just telling you what Jesus said. And it's meat. 
and it's hard to swallow, but remember this, greater is he who's in us than he who is in the world. That the kingdom of darkness will never overcome the church of Jesus Christ. And even though there may be Judases among us and those who pollute and pervert the gospel, false teachers, false prophets, false doctrine, listen, the truth will endure, the gospel will endure, the word will endure, and Jesus will come back for a church without spot or wrinkle, guaranteed. So there's going to be offense, and the response of the offended will be, you know, we have no more allegiance to Christ, but we're still religious, and so, you know, we're going to do two things, and the first is that we're going to betray. So let's look at that. The offended will betray those who stay faithful to Jesus. Betrayal is a bitter pill to swallow. When someone you know and trust turns on you and throws you to the proverbial wolves, it will provoke a flurry of emotions, sadness, anger, pain, and a complete mistrust of other people. I know people who have been betrayed by others decades ago that still to this day say, I can't trust anybody. I can't get close to anybody. I've had men come into the church. I got burned by a pastor. I got burned in the church. I'll come here and I'll sit here, but I don't want to know anybody. Wow. Betrayal is a bitter pill to swallow. Yet within the ranks of the religious community, there will be those who betray the righteous. And it's just going to be something that, you know, whether we like it or not, it is a bitter pill. It is a hard pill to swallow. But Jesus said it was going to happen. Now, the hardest thing about betrayal is that by necessity, our betrayers have to be close to us. To get betrayed by somebody, they have to be kind of almost in your inner circle. This is why the person stung by betrayal says, I don't want anybody close to me. I'll get to know you from afar. I'll wave hello and goodbye. But, you know, I'm not letting you in. I'm not letting you, you know, hear my issue. I'm not. Th- this is it. Betrayal has to have that closeness, that proximity. Otherwise, it wouldn't be betrayal. Why? Because to be undone by an enemy, we expect that. And it's much less painful than being betrayed by a friend. Betrayal happens by people who were close to us. And look, if you've gone through it, you know, you're stinging even now as I'm talking about the parameters of betrayal because, you know, it's a hard thing to get completely over. Some of the most famous betrayals we've seen, you know, Julius Caesar, when he was betrayed, they circled him and they stabbed him with daggers. And if you remember what he said, is his friend, Brutus, who he was close to, who was part of his inner circle, who he loved, had also stabbed a dagger into him. And famously, Caesar said, E too, Brute, meaning like you too, buddy. All my enemies, I get it. But a friend, a friend that stabs you in the back, that betrays you, it's an epic betrayal that, you know, we understand the closer a person is to us when they betray us, the sting of it is seemingly unbearable. And, and you might say, well, it's a human thing that we deal with. But no, Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, also knew the sting of betrayal as he had a Judas within his inner circle. Judas listened to him preach. Judas watched him heal the sick. Judas watched him raise the dead. Judas went out, you know, with the teams, and they did miracles, and they saw miracles. Judas laid with them at night. He ate with them at the table. And yet, when it came down to it, 
the Bible says he really didn't believe. And he had always purposed to betray Jesus for his own gain. Jesus entrusted him with the money purse that he knew Judas was dipping into. And there was a betrayal on so many levels there. And Judas betrays him with a kiss for 30 pieces of silver. And Jesus knows the sting of betrayal as well as any of us could ever know. So those who are away from Christ, who quit following him because of offense, will stick around within the body of Christ or within the church system in a church where maybe they don't preach the truth anymore. We understand there's a lot of churches out there where you can go and sit and you can be in all kinds of sin and all kinds of unbelief and all, and you can be perfectly comfortable. In fact, when people come to the church that are in, you know, ungodly situations and lifestyles, you know, people say, well, do you single them out and throw them out? No, I just keep preaching and they leave on their own. I give people a chance. But the word, the word and the truth and the, the move of the Holy Spirit, if your heart's not right, it'll drive you right out those double doors. And understand, there will be people who find a place and they'll get a voice and they'll oppose and they'll betray. Now, you might wonder, how will Christian betrayal play itself out in the last days? Well, remember, we're in the world system, the world's power structure, correct? We learned that. So, you know, here we are, the church, staying true to the word of God, the world, the, the, the apostate church, and everything around us is going to turn on us. So here's how betrayal will play out in Christian circles in the last days. The powers that be will say, you can't preach these certain texts from the scripture anymore because now they're hate speech. And if you don't think that's possible, in, in European nations, in England right now, you can't preach certain doctrines from the Bible or you will be arrested. In Canada, same thing. It's hate speech to say certain behaviors are sin. How many people knew that before I just said it? Okay, so more than half of us. The rest of us, good morning. This is what's going on. And, I, and if you didn't know, I'm sorry to have to be the one to inform you, but this is already happening. So how do betrayal happen in the church? Well, they'll say, you can't preach that text. You can't say that that's a sin. That's hate speech. If you say that, you, you can be arrested. They'll take your 5013 status away. They'll padlock the church. And people within those churches will turn in pastors that preach those texts. And that's how betrayal will work. And it's happening right now in the earth. How will betrayal work in the last days? The powers that be will say, you have to affirm all sexual expressions. You have to embrace transgenderism. You have to legitimize pedophilia. You have to ordain homosexual clergy. You have to hire staff that doesn't believe what you believe. And you'll have to pay for their abortions and their birth control and anything else we say. And people within those churches where the pastors resist will turn them in and they'll betray them. The powers that be say, you can't evangelize, you can't proselytize, you can't say Jesus is the only way, you can't talk about sin or repentance or conversion or, or point out false religious systems. And pastors that do will be turned in by people who say they're Christians, who have bought into the world's ideology of all roads lead to God. Nothing I just said is too far off base that it's not actually happening all around us already. 
So this is what betrayal will look like in the last days. So not only will the person who is, you know, offended betray, but the last thing Jesus said is the offended will also hate. They will hate those who remain faithful to Jesus Christ. Now, how does that work? Brother on brother, sister on sister, believer on believer, hatred and violence is as old as Cain and Abel. We're going to take a look at this as I bring it in for a landing. But Cain's response to the spiritual differences he had with his brother Abel enraged him so much that he took a rock and he killed Abel and smashed his head and his blood spilt on the ground. His blood from the ground cried out and God heard it. Why did the blood of Abel cry out from the ground? Because of the injustice of the fact that he was killed for righteousness. I think about the man, Abel, just one guy, his blood spilled on the ground and it cried out to the Lord. I think about all the blood that has been spilled out in our abortion mills, how it must scream in the ears of God for divine vengeance against the wickedness of man. Got your attention Wednesday night? So Cain had a problem with his brother because his brother's offering pleased God, but his didn't. Cain brought God just whatever he felt like. It didn't cost him anything. It wasn't symbolic of, uh, of, of the type of offering God was looking for. He brought him just, you know, some of the, uh, he, he farmed, he brought him some of the vegetables, the first fruits, blah, blah, blah. But Abel brought him the fatlings, the first fruits, the, 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 the blood sacrifice, if you will, from his uh, animals, from his sheep. And that's what God was looking for. And they both knew it. But Cain did his thing because he wanted to approach God in his own way. Abel was humble enough to approach God in the way God desired to be approached. So what's the response? Did Cain repent? Did Cain realize he, he purposely sinned against God? No, he gets angry at his brother. Why? Because his brother was righteous and his brother was accepted by God and he hated his brother for that. And so will those who are offended, who walk away from serving Christ, they will hate those to the point of wanting them destroyed because they know deep inside their heart they were rejected by God because they were rebellious and they will hate the righteous that they still have communion with the Father. Wow. The offended will hate those who remain faithful to Jesus just as Cain hated Abel who brought God the proper sacrifice. This hatred stems you know, there is hatred right now within the body of Christ that's very subtle that we don't really pick up on. But there are those in every denomination that really look at other denominations and other believers and other Christians as second-class believers, and there's division within the body of Christ. That's why we have so many denominations. But listen to me, there is a subtle hatred that is brewing within the body of Christ between certain groups, and it's been there for a long time. I want to point some of it out because in the last days, it's going to metastasize into a full-blown cancer that will cause uh, them to betray one another and hate one another. When you have Baptists that say Pentecostals are devils because they speak in tongues, and when you have Pentecostals that say Baptists aren't saved because they don't speak in tongues, there's a little rift of hatred in there that can be blown into full-blown hate. When you have 
you know, denominational uh, religions that are, you know, evangelical, and they say all Catholics are going right to hell when they die. There's no saved Catholics. The truth is Catholic doctrine is very skewed and very, uh, you know, infiltrated with all kinds of things. But there are a lot of saved Catholics who love Jesus, who are born again and who are filled with the Holy Spirit. And yet there's a rift between the, you know, the Protestant churches and the Catholic churches. And there's these little undertoes. Well, the Catholics will say, well, we're the only true church and we're the only church that can forgive sins. And if you come here, we don't even want you to take communion when you're with us. Oh, I'm stepping on everybody's toes tonight. God bless you Wednesday night. But, you know, uh, I'm just going to say the truth. You got evangelicals that, you know... The Catholics are lost, the Protestants are lost, this group is lost, the Baptists and the, the, the Pentecostals and all of these. And there's little rifts that go on there. And listen to me, these little subtle things can be blown, in, can be fanned like little flames into full-blown hatred. And if you think that certain ones from all of these groups won't kick the other group when it's down, you're just plain kidding yourself. Because we've seen it over and over again. We, when, oh, this church has a problem or this pastor falls and all the, the people who never liked them come out and speak against them or this group or, you know, the Catholics got this going on and they attack this one and that one. You know, we've even seen it recently with COVID, churches turning one another in, congregants turning in pastors and, you know, hatred there. And, and, and it doesn't take much for these things to be fanned into exactly what Jesus is warning us that would be a sign of his coming that they will hate one another. Hatred in the body of Christ may be subtle right now, but unfortunately in the last days, as the approach of Jesus' coming gets nearer and nearer, it will flare up, guaranteed. The tares will come after the wheat. The apostate church will side with the world. Those who have doctrinal and, uh, you know, uh, conflicts with one another, anywhere there's a little bit of hatred, it'll be fanned up. So buckle up, search your hearts, drive hate far from your hearts, accept all those who name the name of Christ and believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he rose from the dead, amen? If we can agree on Jesus, then we're brothers and sisters in Christ. There's certain things we can't partner with. There's certain church, churches that have given themselves over to doctrines that we can't condone. But we can love everybody and let God separate the wheat from the tares. Be loving, be patient, be gracious. All of us are works in progress. The king will sort out everything when he returns. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, I thank you for Matthew 24. I thank you for these signs that you've given us to look for. I thank you for all the truths you've tucked into verse 10 for those who love you and those who want to know the truth. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. God, help us to be aware of all the undertoes and all the currents in these days. Father, help us to keep our roots deep so that we're not offended. Help us to love one another and to abstain from hating each other over, uh, you know, biblical discrepancies or doctrinal differences. Keep us by your great power as all these signs unfold. 
that we would have oil in our lamps and be looking for your coming.